Welcome to the Devin Nunes Podcast. Breaking through the political noise. Separating fact from fiction. Stay up to date by following Devin on Rumble.com to watch the podcast or downloading wherever you listen to podcasts. From the San Joaquin Valley, the breadbasket of the solar system, here's your host, Devin Nunes. Welcome back to the Devin Nunes Podcast. Back in the studio with retired Cap Navy Captain Jerry Hendricks, uh, author of the book, To Provide and Maintain a Navy. And Jerry, congratulations on the book. We, fo- we focused on it before on the show, but uh, you're one of the great experts. Actually, you're one of the most popular podcasts that we have, uh, especially people that want to know about what's going on around the world as it relates to both military and economic issues. Uh, they, there's been a lot recently in the news about hypersonic weapons and the Chinese taking steps to do hypersonic missile trials. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, there's gambling in Casablanca has been the claim by the Democrats. Oh, my gosh, we were so surprised, which is totally ridiculous. Yep. There's, there's absolutely no surprise here. Uh, you've been talking about it for many years. So for our audience, let's just give them a quick tutorial about, first of all, let's go back to what's the origins of a hypersonic missile? What is a hypersonic weapon? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what have we seen over the past you know, five to ten years that has led to this? Well, it's an important topic, and I appreciate the chance to sort of unpack this because it's complicated. We've had hypersonic systems for a long time. Every intercontinental ballistic missile or intermediate-range ballistic missile is hypersonic in the sense that it exceeds the speed of Mach 5, 3,500 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. So that's what really technically qualifies something as hypersonic. But what we're seeing now is what we call boost glide or maneuverable hypersonic platforms. This is where things get a more complicated. We spent 35 years trying to figure out how to shoot down and defend against intercontinental ballistic missiles, hypersonic weapons that are just following a ballistic arc. Mm-hmm. Now you have something that's... So, unpacking that just a little bit. Yeah. So that's basically coming from Russia, yes. China. Coming generally over the pole. Over the pole in, to the West. Coming to the United to, States or to Europe. From, from the West, right, from, or yes. from the top. Yep. And it comes in, once its rocket burns out, the projectile just keeps going. It doesn't maneuver. And so mm-hmm. you, you can build a track on it with radar, and then you can target it with missiles to shoot it down deform it, cause it to break apart so that it's no Which is the threat. same technology that we've been deploying to Israel, same type of... Absolutely. Uh, with the Iron Dome, yep. that sort of technology is easier to use. Absolutely. And, and, and we spend it billions of dollars to create this capability to do it. Now along comes these boost glide vehicles, which essentially they either don't burn out and, and they have a, an ongoing rocket engine or a, a, a compressor mm-hmm. uh, fan like the Russian Zircon missile that just flies as a cruise missile, or it's the Chinese system that essentially gets boosted but then maneuvers after it detaches, thus making it more difficult to target and shoot down. What a hypersonic boost glide vehicle does is that it increases both the probability that the weapon will survive and then achieve its probable kill. So that's what the challenge is, is we don't have the capabilities now to shoot these types of weapons down. And the traditional capabilities we have, which is essentially missiles, uh, cannot maneuver fast enough to keep up with them. This Chinese test that we've just seen, Mm -hmm. which is actually a different type, which we call fractional orbital bombardment system, or a FOBS, is an old capability. We actually developed this capability back in the late 1950s. We actually had a program called the Dynasoar, dynamic soaring platform that was uh, created under President Eisenhower, but was canceled uh, during the Kennedy administration. 
which would have had essentially a manned orbital bomber that would fly around at the edge of space and then drop bombs effectively from space. Mm -hmm. um, we made a lot of that science available. So through NASA or through the scientific community to share this capability. Now, this fractional orbital bombardment system, I always have a little trouble with this, uh, essentially is a threat because it can approach us from different angles. Like, for instance, this looked like it was something that was launched over the North Pole and then circled around the South Pole and then came back into China from its south. If they angled that so that it went over the North Pole and then came in from our southern border, we have no sensor systems on our southern border to be able to track hypersonic mm -hmm. platforms coming in. We have a wide window of vulnerability. So, so just to go back to, to 101 on this, so Mach 5. Yep. So this is launched, ground-based launch, right? Yes. Goes up into the atmosphere. At what point does it hit that Mach 5 speed? It hits that Mach 5 speed during its climb out. And in fact, so it's it, climbing, 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 getting to Mach 5, not even when it gets to yes. essentially right outside. Because what, at what at what uh, altitude are these, do they ultimately begin that kind of glide function? Hundreds of thousands of feet. So essentially at the edge of space. Okay. And by the way. So for like where Branson took his, his spaceship a few that's months right. ago. Or even what the, the Bill Shatner uh, flight where they went up. Mm -hmm. That essentially went through the sound barrier and went into hypersonic speed. Then, you know, burns off its energy and then comes back down. This actually, so Mach 5 is just the threshold. What we're seeing with these things is they're actually approaching Mach 13 to Mach 20 uh, when they're doing this climb out. To be able to do an orbital transition, you're closer to about Mach 23 to go one time around the Earth and then come back. Mm -hmm. And so what they do is once they burn out that rocket engine, then they begin gliding and then slowly burning off that speed as they maneuver around. And again, very difficult. So it to becomes track. maneuverable. With and they're not using any jet fuel or anything to move it. They're just it's simply just gliding. That's right. It's transitioning its kinetic energy into maneuvering and burning off that kinetic energy as it comes back in. So the key thing is it's still going to be above Mach five when it approaches its target, which means we have very little chance of shooting it down. Okay, so it gets it gets the the outside of the atmosphere. It's and then. How many times, so, so this one the Chinese did based on what you've seen in your public reporting. Mm -hmm. uh, so kind of run us through the trajectory that it went on. So it launched out of China. This is according to the Financial Times from mm -hmm. two weekends ago. Mm -hmm. uh, launches out of China, uh, went into a north, uh, uh, went in over the North Pole, mm -hmm. essentially accelerating all the way. Uh, we would expect it would have booster phase burnout. And by the way, this is an ICBM level booster. This isn't just some small missile. This is a large missile with something very large on top of it. And then so they have their boost phase burnout probably over the North Pole for that type of climb out, probably several hundred thousand feet, a couple hundred thousand feet, mm -hmm. and then essentially circles over the North Pole, glides outside of the majority of the Earth's atmosphere. There's probably some still atmosphere at the, the level because it has be able to pick up a little bit of glide resistance from hmm. the very thin air, comes around the South Pole, and now it really is beginning to pick up resistance from the air as it's descending into the thicker atmosphere, begins to really pick up its maneuverability, giving it ability to go offset left or offset right or going left and then right, thus complicating our things. And then this comes the big part, which is when it becomes fractional. So it splits into various different things, almost as if MERV. And what, we, what the reporting suggests is these fractional objects then impacted inside China. And they expect that it actually missed 
its target by a couple dozen miles, which gives us, you know, 24 miles offset. But when you have fractional, essentially a shotgun shell, you don't have to have great accuracy. And in fact, that's why it's suggestive that this Chinese technology is focused on not on necessarily targeting our military targets, but actually civilian infrastructure. My chief thought immediately was, what about Galveston? What about our major petroleum port facilities on the southern border of the United States? Mm -hmm. That seems to be suggestive of this flight profile being able to hit civilian industry and infrastructure. Um, and it's also a clear sign from the Chinese you know, they're trying to deter us. This is really about creating the window of opportunity over Taiwan for them. They want to create a condition where they clearly have signaled to us, we can hit you at home. We can hit you with conventional or we can hit you with nukes at home. So when we go for Taiwan, you better think twice about coming after us because your homeland is now under threat from us. And we just demonstrated that capability. Okay. So like so going back to I think that's a great explanation for us. And we also now know this is probably how it's getting close to Christmas now, probably how Santa Claus flies. We just <laughs> we finally figured it out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This is how the reindeers get up and hyper and glide in. That's absolutely correct. So for all the kids out there watching, yep. young kids, now you know how, how, well, and how of course Rudolph's it, able to get the sleigh up there. And, and you are able to get up there. And once you form the plasma shield around, you're actually actually able to go much faster with less resistance. And so, yes, it's very illustrative of uh, how Santa Claus and the sleigh actually makes its, uh, its trans-world uh, flight in that night. So I want to make sure that now let's go back to you talked about Eisenhower starting a similar program. Um, I've been briefed uh, on this for years, not, and I'm not talking about any top secret mm -hmm. briefing. Um, there's actually been DARPA programs that have looked at building these hypersonic type of, of weapons. I've been, I've been to some of those, those launches. So this whole concept that, oh, my God, like I said earlier, there's gambling in Casablanca. Uh, this has been an ongoing program. We've been well aware that the Chinese and Russians uh, have, been, have been looking at it. Why don't you just give us a quick snapshot of kind of key timeframes in the last 20 years of what we've seen them do. Well, this is why I think it's important that we categorize this as a Sputnik moment. Sputnik is sort of a touchstone. Everyone understands what we mean by that. The Sputnik launches in October 1957, and we're behind. We recognize we didn't get the first ICBM, we didn't get the first satellite, and we galvanize as the nation. It gets Eisenhower to begin to spend more, and actually very quickly, we developed two intermediate-range ballistic missiles and three inter intercontinental ballistic missiles within a four-year period of time after that because the nation really comes on dead center. We're actually farther behind right now. We actually got our first ICBM up a few months after Sputnik went up, um, but we're a couple years away from fielding our first uh, operational hypersonic capability in, in the United States. We've been doing hypersonic testing since the late 1950s. So if you remember the X-15 program that flew at Edwards Air Force Base, a long black aircraft with short stubby wings, that was a hypersonic test platform, flew in the Mach 3 to Mach 5 range with a man on it and, and tested essentially how to ride these waves in the outer atmosphere at very high speeds and how to maneuver. Our entire space shuttle program was a hypersonic platform boosted into space by very large boosters, glides back in at Mach 25, slowly bleeding off energy, maneuvering left, maneuvering right, the ceramic tiles that were on the space shuttle. Mm -hmm. All of that was devolved out of the military's hypersonic programs that were developed in the late 1950s, early 1970s. We have all of this scientific information. Sometime in the mid-1970s, we essentially just walked away from hypersonics. When we sort of bought into the intermediate uh, range test treaty 
and all the other treaties that went along with that, we started moving away from the hypersonic science, technology, engineering that went along with it. However, it was still there on the open books. And the scientific community has continued to think about it and talk about it. In the mid-1990s, we know that the Chinese and the Russians began to invest deeply in looking at these things. That's out there based upon scientific papers. I've downloaded papers off from uh, the, the, essentially the scientific journal community that are translations of Chinese papers that were written in the early 2000s, looking at left-right offset. It's there in open source. And essentially, it was a massive steal from things that were done at places like Pasadena or Purdue University, where we had hypersonic wind tunnels going for most of the last 25 years. So now they have systems that are reaching what we call uh, uh, initial operational capability, IOC, and they're fielding them, uh, the, both the Russians and the Chinese, and they're continuing to test them. And when they test, their platforms seem to be working. When we test, it's about a 50-50 shot as to whether our platforms are going to work. We had three successful tests last week um, on, on Army and Navy systems. There was one unsuccessful test, which mostly was a booster failure uh, by open source reporting on that. So we're there, but we seem to be farther behind, and we're sort of running really fast to catch up. But the key thing is we're farther behind now at this Sputnik moment than we were in the original Sputnik moment, and that should alarm everyone. It should. It should. Well, that's why we have you on the show, Jerry. Uh, this, is, this is fabulous. Uh, everybody loves uh, when, you, when you come on the show, and we're going to have you on quite a bit here over the next uh, month or so. So uh, thanks a lot. And your book, To Provide and Maintain a Navy, by Jerry's book. Great Christmas gift for any of your military geeks that are out there that want to know the future of the U.S. Navy. And we'll be asking some questions about to Jerry about that over the next few weeks. But that's Devin Nunes signing off until next week. Stay up to date by following Devin Nunes on Rumble.com to watch the podcast or download wherever you listen to podcasts. Storm clouds been gathering so long, I don't know. The darkness around us leaves no easy we started wandering with every road dead in our dreams. It whips the dust up and rains pouring down. Good people struggling in every hometown. We started wondering if we even matter at all. We'll take that hard road to happier days. Trial by fire like this It's nothing hard working family can fix We've got the power to save it all here in our hands We'll take that hard road to happier days Cause we kept our American faith
brave. That's why they call her the home of the brave. With a prayer and a purpose, we're already half the way there. We'll take that hard road to happier days. Cause we've kept our American faith. Paid for by Devin Nunes Campaign Committee.